0: Welcome to Get It, a podcast about cybersecurity insights for the foreseeable future, brought to you by CDW and Cisco. I'm Amanda Capito. In this episode, we're going to talk about how security for small businesses can be different than for larger companies. According to the 2020 CDW Security Study, smaller organizations are less confident in their ability to detect and respond to security breaches compared to enterprises. Both CDW and Cisco offer cybersecurity services to companies of all sizes. With me to talk about that today is Theo Van Wick, the head of cybersecurity at CDW Canada, and Sean Earhard, the advanced threat solutions specialist at Cisco Systems Canada. Getting started with today's theme, wanting to put a quick opening question out to both of you. Do you think small businesses or startups are less likely to be hacked? Sean, what do you think?
1: Well, that's a great question, and it's a question that's that's facing every business owner when they're trying to apply their IT process, and especially trying to figure out how to invest in security when they have limited budgets. And the, the trick is, in most cases, when you're in a small business, you're not the target, but your software is. The vulnerabilities of it are. Your users and the mistakes they make are. So you're not more or less likely to get attacked. You're going to be attacked because your software, your systems, your users are vulnerable. So I wouldn't say more or less, I would say everyone's at risk because to a great extent you're using all the same software packages as a standard.
0: Gotcha. Theo, what do you think? That is a a very interesting
2: question and one that we've been grappling with for a while. you know if you rewind a few years like a few years ago i would have said absolutely you know enterprise is the target like that's what people are going after that's where it's being monetized but uh in the last few years if i just take the amount of personal people that i know that had some form of a security incident in their small organizations uh then you know right there that tells me that uh, either i was wrong or this has changed but everybody is pretty much on par for an attack And then we do an annual security study at CDW, and one of the very explicit questions for small organization respondents is an attack count. And what we found in the last two years is there is no real uh, significant amount. There may be, you know, like what we might see is a a difference in the number of attack attempts, but the actual compromises that they experience, which at the end of the day really constitutes an attack for an end user or for organization really is very much on par between large and smaller organizations.
0: Okay, interesting. So in that case, when it comes to security, um, are there any advantages that smaller businesses have over enterprises? Sean?
1: I would say yes, because of the way they're targeted. So if you look at a large organization, a lot of them today are dealing with a threat called maze, which is Uh, threat that's compiled on a per target basis so the attacker picks an environment and just literally relentlessly attacks and then actually in most cases doesn't execute the attack that the organization notices they sell the ability to attack to the highest bidder in most cases uh, using ransomware on the other end so it's really a ruthless targeted attack and you need to really pay attention to the weak signals that your, your tools are sending you in order to find out that this activity is happening way before you would get uh, a real alert, a real significant alert from any endpoint that might be under attack. At that point, it's too late. Whereas in a small organization, you don't have that ruthless attacker that's just trying to find that one little weakness in your security And you could start to look at the the alerts in aggregate. So it's easier to see things. It's also easier to recover uh, just re-imaging one or two laptops uh, and not having to sit there and try to figure out, okay, is this spreading across thousands? So it's a different type of attack and a different type of organization.
0: Right. Theo?
2: I I want to build off of what Sean said there. I think large organizations are typically more the target of potentially targeted attacks, right? There's people going after the data and the assets they have, and they're taking their time, and they're they're crafting an attack. And those are the most difficult to stop and defend against. I think a lot of smaller organizations, although they could be um, a victim of the previous example, but a lot of smaller organizations actually will experience opportunistic attacks. So this is just Somebody that writes a kind of uh, ransomware or an email type attack and they blast it out to a uh, a whole series of emails or they attack a whole series of platforms in the hope that they find uh, a gap somewhere. So I think right there is different kinds of attacks. I think if you break it down a little further, now again, you you have to be careful because there's pros and cons between small and large and each one faces a different element of it. Uh, One of the things typically uh, for a smaller organization is that the attack surface will be a lot smaller. So you just have less devices uh they're less spread out potentially less infrastructure so theoretically you know when you look at that perspective it should be a bit easier to secure that and lock it down now the flip side to that obviously is a lot of time you have more resource constraints and maybe knowledge constraints or access to the type of tool set that larger organizations potentially would have so that could offset it uh but definitely like when you look at uh, just the attack surface that's a very important one the other element for us, too, is less third parties. We're seeing a lot of third-party breaches through suppliers. Uh, when we look at the numbers, typically, uh, smaller organizations have a fraction of the number of third parties that large organizations would. So, again, you know, that, that hopefully eases things up a little bit. It doesn't mean you cannot pay attention to it, but if you apply some energy, you should be able to get your arms around that a little bit easier. And then the other big thing for us is just really when you focus on um, – complicated processes and procedures or smaller organizations ideally should have that ability to move a little bit more dynamic it's uh, a little bit smaller uh you, you shouldn't have as many processes and procedures and again that could be a good or a bad thing because it could be something where a person wears enough hats that you can get around some of the whaling and type of social media attacks but it doesn't guarantee it because we still see a lot of smaller organizations uh does actually fall victim as a, to it as well so just very different. You have to play to your – it's a game of playing to your strengths and weaknesses, ideally. But I think, uh, you know, like Sean had said, it's still, it's still a viable target, but uh, perhaps a little bit different
1: in how attackers would approach it. And just to add to that, what I've seen in the in the SMB space versus the enterprise space is the enterprise – tool set is often very, very fragmented because, you know, even if the team has been building for two years and now they've got a crack security team, they're still dealing with tools that may have been bought three, four, five, six years earlier, weren't the tools that they needed, aren't integrated, it's different, it's time consuming to try to get the information that they need out of it. Small businesses have the ability and the advantage of buying a, a suite of tools, across different layers of security that talk together, chain together, respond together. And so what that does is it fills the gap that you might have from an expertise perspective in the large organization, but it also reduces the time to react, and that's critical. So the ability there in the small organization that the tools, because they're working together, do the work that you might do when you get the alert, that allows you to really speed up your security. So, small businesses do have some advantages if they take a smart way of building their security stack.
0: Great. Okay, so let's talk about what the next step would look like once you do get breached. How is it different for small businesses and larger ones? Theo, why don't you start us off?
2: So, the fundamental elements remain the same. I think a lot of times the scope and the magnitude might be different, but the reality is uh it's going to depend a little bit on the type of breach that you're experiencing but let's for the moment assume here we're referring to a breach like ransomware that takes out hosts or impact services uh the number one step is to contain so it's the moment you realize that there has been a breach the first step is to contain so whether that's disconnecting hosts uh, getting things locked down you want to prevent further spread and that is that is going to be step number one once you have that containment uh in place then you want to start doing two things, usually in parallel. The first one is a remediation process of cleaning up the attack, uh, the infected systems, the encrypted. Now again, this can take various different forms, but you want to start working to restoring that section of the the network or the environment or the assets that that got breached uh, back to a trusted state. But in parallel, and this is often what people, what organizations, what people forget about, is finding that root cause because just restoring it to a trusted state still doesn't tell you how the attackers got into your network. And so once you can restore it back to a trusted state, you want to know what went wrong in the first place so you can fix that so that doesn't happen again. Uh, you know, we, we did the recent survey and we found that as many as 80% of the respondents said they got reinfected by the same ransomware that they had just cleaned up. So that obviously tells me that, you know, they recovered, they restored, but they didn't really patch and resolve the issue. So Uh, You know, definitely contain it, clean it up, restore it, but figure out what went wrong because you need to patch and remediate that. And now, you know, then at that stage too, like you can go into further elements such as if you actually had uh, personal information, uh, personal identifiable information, PII um, or customer data impacted, then there's a number of governing uh, regulations that you then have to consider with steps that you then have to take to make sure uh, you stay within the legal confines of what you
1: need to do. I struggle to add anything to this, but I, I will dig into a few things. Uh, what I see at the street level is organizations that sometimes um, haven't made a prior decision on what they can handle and what they can't. And so they continue to try and deal with a situation that's beyond their expertise, their capabilities, their ability to stop. And so really having that blunt meeting with the non IT executives to be able to identify here's what we feel like we could contain, but these are the signals that we that indicate that this is beyond our ability to handle internally and we need to bring in an outside party to help us and augment our efforts here um if this if this is the case. And organization, for example, that it was mentioned play you know, uh just the the attack coming back again and again, you know, we call that, of course, whack-a-mole. And we see organizations play whack-a-mole with something like Imotet again and again and again, and it looks like they're just sort of losing one machine here and there, and then poof, the whole organization is gone. We saw one organization that happened to just a few years ago. Literally every machine was wiped out on a Tuesday morning. And the company had to start again, and that can be crippling for a small business. So, really having that blunt conversation with non-IT teams to be able to say, "This is where we need to, uh, where we need to call in outside," so that there's no hesitation or delay in the moment. That's a big thing. And then another challenge is. Uh, the difference between what you see in enterprise, which is a, a really high degree of, specif- uh, of sophistication and specification when it comes to threat hunting, incident response, forensic analysis, and that allows them to have the expertise on staff to find that root cause. And uh, as we said earlier, with with mole be able to identify and go, this is the exact threat we're dealing with. I confidently know what decisions we need to make now, and that can be a very difficult challenge for small businesses where they have, in most cases, more generalist IT folks. So again, coming back to tools, not only looking at tools uh, and controls that can block, but that can provide that deeper level of analysis to immediately show you root cause so that you're not limited by your own necessarily time and expertise that you have available.
0: Perfect. So, shifting gears a bit, now let's talk about the new reality that we're in right now, where there is a massive increase in remote work. How is this changing breach defense strategies for small businesses, Sean?
1: Well, that's a great question, and I find it fascinating because, as a security vendor, my my initial answer is, of course. Uh, dealing with threats and dealing with, hey, you need to implement this control, but I'll take a step backwards and just talk about the human element and the stress of what everyone is going through, which is, I have to now work at home, I don't have access to all the normal things that I do, my users, I can't just tell them to ship me their laptop, I can't tell them to come into the office with their laptop, And there's a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety around trying to deliver the remote work experience that keeps the organization going while also securing it. And so uh, at Cisco, I know that we've done a tremendous amount to try and alleviate that with extending offers and different things that we've done and other vendors have done it well. I think the security industry has responded quite well um a couple of the things that we've seen that are key are obviously trying to push your blocking as far away from the device as possible so it used to be in a lot of organizations you know before remote work you're behind the firewall and that's a great layer well to a great extent that's gone away now so how are you blocking at the cloud level that's an area where we see a lot of small businesses immediately jumping in and trying to push those blocks as far away from their devices as possible and that reduces the downstream events and then the other area again is moving to cloud we see more and more more and more small businesses look at hey How do we just simplify everything? How can we tie everything together in the cloud? And then again, we come back to what we talked about earlier, this idea of how can I get the tools to do more of my work so I'm only making decisions on really critical issues? And that's an area where we've seen small businesses really rocket forward in the last year where the tools are able to make more decisions based on how each tool is reporting some information rather than having the, uh, the organization throw human hours at it. So it's very stressful right now, but there's a lot of relief that's available out there if small businesses want to look at how they could be doing things better and more efficiently. So there is a, another side to that as well. Great. Theo? It's been a
2: very interesting journey. Uh, I'll say that for right off the bat. Um, what I have seen, more so than in some other cases, is an actual very clear divide between how where organizations originated from and how it's impacted them. And so if you look at certain types of small organizations that was already sort of adopted this, I need my people to be remote and mobile, and we're putting as many of the services as we can in the cloud. So whether that's you know, your Salesforce or your HR or your accounting program, whatever you're doing, you're already pushing that in the cloud. I think the, the irony is the impact has been a lot less than you, you might expect upfront, right? Obviously, there is a little bit more tooling. You have to get people comfortable with the loss of that human connection and element. And then on the other side of that spectrum, we have the organizations that was very traditional in terms of coming into the office, being in the office, working in the office, and that's where everything happens. In many cases, still, I know in my own and uh, some of my own family's organizations, like or companies that they're running, they still have a lot of their data like locally on a server that's sitting there. And so for them, that is extremely problematic because now they already had a limited amount of tool sets and focus on remote access. And now suddenly they have to look at how do I deal with this? What kind of tool sets do I get? How do I get open? Basically, tackle this um, this new approach that they haven't been comfortable with so far. Now, on the flip side is once we see these companies deal with that and they adopt it, it, like Sean had said, it actually accelerates them. It actually boosts them, and you see a massive, massive positive effect off of it once they once they can wrap their heads around it. And the reality is, I suspect most organizations will will stay at at least at some form of that level. They're going to see the advantage to this and not back down. Um, and then. From a, a universal perspective, like Sean had talked about pushing protection to the edge, like protecting the cloud, like as far as way from uh, from the traditional spaces, uh, that push also goes in the other direction. So we, a lot of times we talk to people about the endpoint or the user being the new perimeter. Um, it's not that old concept anymore. If I come to the office and I drop my laptop down and now like I have all the protection of the office me and, and that keeps me safe. More and more people are connecting from home. They're connecting from uh Starbucks, wi- like, you know, Wi-Fi cafes, they're on the road, it's LTE and uh, cellular data. And the reality is, the only way to truly do that is to push that protection layer back to the user's laptops on the one side, and on the other side, if you are adopting cloud services, right, like make sure you're protecting those cloud services. The challenge there is, those services are open to the internet, they're open to anybody to access. Uh, but there's fantastic tools out there, and it's, it's again, it's a little bit of a shift in that thinking. But ultimately, I think that is the better approach because it safeguards you against many more scenarios than what uh, or what companies traditionally would have been protected against.
0: And let's talk about the communication aspect of all of this. Both of you are talking about the importance people play in this. So how do you communicate to a staff, especially if it's a small business or a startup, to say, hey, we're just as likely to get hacked, we're just as likely to have some security breaches, and how do you enforce them to take it seriously? Theo.
2: Wow. The human element. Uh, always very interesting. The, you know what? I, the biggest thing we found is we have to stop with fear mongering. Uh, the, the, the big challenge I have with security is a lot of time, and unfortunately it works. The media pushes it because it works. It's quick clickbait. It gets attention, right? But the after effects of fear mongering is detrimental and it actually shuts people down. So one of the things we, we try to promote as well is to say, listen, education. Uh, but from a positive place, like use examples. Uh, you know, I have about four examples in that I know of personal people. This is not even through work, where either they got attacked by a phishing scam, and they what saved them was the fact that in a small case, you know, the the one person leaned over to the other one and said, Hey, really, you want me to move this money to this account? And the person said, I had no idea what you're talking about, right? So there's a communication element, and it gets avoided. But the reality, is those, attacks, those attacks are going to happen to everyone. Um, we have cases of you know people clicking the long long links and social media accounts being hijacked, and that can be catastrophic for a small organization. But I think the reality is just to take those examples and assess it, like, and then discuss it with your your uh, your employees, so that they understand that other small companies are falling victim to this, and it it happens. Uh, it's a it's a human element. But uh, I'd I'd say you'd have to feel out your audience too. Now you have to take your demographics into consideration. You're working with millennials or you're working you know, with boomers. Like, what, what is the age group and how do they process information? Because it is very different. But uh, we have to get away from fear-mongering and make people realize that this happens and the response. And how I respond to something happening and being aware of it is so much more important than just plainly wearing a, a you know a head-in-the-sand approach of it won't
1: happen to me or I, I hope it never happens to me. And I think from a people perspective, the key I think that hasn't been spoken about is really how do you get a positive response from people? And, and as was said, fear-mongering doesn't work. And one way to do that, especially if you have a small organization, is you know, make it part of the onboarding process. Work backwards from each individual to be able to say, here's the worst thing that could happen all three people that work in finance this is the worst thing that could happen and this is what it would look like in your normal workflow and that's a very different conversation than saying don't click on an email, unless you're sure. I click on 2,000 emails a day. You know, it's very difficult for me to try to, in the moment, not have my finger just click on that email. But if I have a sense for where I sit in the chain and what could really happen on the other side of that, it doesn't come across as fear-mongering. It comes across as me doing my very specific part to keep the organization safe. So working back from that worst case and making it very personal for the role and making it part of onboarding, even if the only security training they get is in their first couple of days at work, that sets the tone and that's key, rather than doing it maybe once or twice a
0: year. Great, makes sense. Okay, so just a final question now. Looking ahead, if there is one thing that small business owners should really have top of mind uh, with regard to cybersecurity, what would you say it is? Sean, we'll start with you.
1: The answer is really straightforward. Really take a look at your organization and your volume of human hours you can throw at this problem. And if the answer isn't a staggering amount of human hours you can throw at this problem, you should spend the next six to 12 months investigating how to automate the routine tasks that people are doing today for example because different layers of security or products don't talk to each other how are you forcing your own employees to bridge the gaps that machines should be doing for you and really take a look at that because there's a huge opportunity especially in small organizations to chain these solutions together get them doing the routine behaviors that your staff might be doing today, really look at literally every click that they 're doing and understanding how to automate that and that way that frees up a tremendous amount of time and they make they 're able to make better decisions because the automated stuff is already uh, happening so a great example is Uh, from earlier, you know, a potential breach happens or an incident happens, then instead of spending four or five hours looking through logs, trying to understand what's going on when maybe you're not a security PhD, there's the ability today, especially in small organizations, for the tools to grab all that information and present it to you in a way that you could just make a decision. And that's the role that people should be playing in security. And if you don't have a tremendous amount of hours to throw at the problem, really look at that because it's a really exciting area of security today.
0: Yeah, Theo.
2: I would say one of the most important parts is understanding the context of what security means to you as, an, as a company. And what I mean by that is, there is phenomenal information out there. There's frameworks, there's tool sets, there's information. Uh, Sean talks about, uh, you know, automating responses, and we see customers wanting to do that so badly. But a lot of times people forget to take back a, a step back and look at what the data, how, how their organization is ingesting and using data. Where is my crown jewels? Can you answer that question? If I ask you, where is the real crown jewels in your organization? What is critical for you to protect? Do you have that? Do you have a, a, a handle on where that data is? Then I ask you, how does your how does your employees work with this uh, this incredibly vital information? Can you answer that question? And once you can a- start answering questions like those, and you truly understand what your organization is doing with the data, then you can apply the security controls. Because otherwise, even for an enterprise, so, you know we we look a lot of times we've looked at studies that says if you have a bigger security budget, are you more secure? And the answer is no. People get hacked just as much, if not more. It's not a monetary issue. Um, although it could be a limiting factor, but the reality is it's an understanding of your environment. And it, we always talk about not shoehorning your business into a framework or a security model, but taking the security model, the intent behind it, and making sure you embed it in your organization. And so that, you know, when you look at tools, automation, orchestration, breach responses, you want to look at patching, prevention. All of those items, at the end of the day, if you can ask smarter questions around where's my data and how's people using it and what's the right size security for my organization, that is going to allow you to succeed because otherwise it is very easy to get overwhelmed and just give up or lose your way in the security maze. So put that context in place, understand that, ask the smarter questions and then uh, take the appropriate steps to make sure your, your organization can operate securely.
0: Really great questions to keep in mind. Sean and Theo, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Really appreciate it. Get It is brought to you by CDW and Cisco. Thanks to our guests, Theo Van Wick and Sean Earhart. And thank you for listening. I'm Amanda Capito. For show notes and additional episodes, visit cdw.ca slash